and welcome back to another episode of Buttermilk Boulevard. And today we have a second discography this month. Yes, I worked extra hard just for y'all and just for Halloween because as y'all know, it is my favorite holiday and I make the best of it while I can. Um, so there's a double episode today. I don't know if you've uh, noticed, but there are two Buttermilk Boulevard episodes out today. Um, one of those being my signature spooky atmosphere that I usually end these videos with during this time of year. I wanted to do a special for people who just like that. Um, and there are certain people who are only listening to that portion of the vid of the, uh, episodes. So I made about 15 minutes worth of it. <laughs> so it just kind of scatter kind of everywhere it's it's a it's not like one cohesive 15 minute spooky atmosphere it's just um you're getting little segments i tried to split it up every couple of minutes to be like okay now here's this this one is themed after this and you'll kind of see that i themed it around uh, slashers specifically uh with some of the sound effects and stuff and and making the actual music on my midi keyboard um based on kind of those slashers uh, and so yeah listen to it and you can tell me which ones you think was which <laughs> because i don't really know myself <laughs> but um yeah so today we do have a discography for you um i have been balls to the wall trying to finish this for today <clears throat> and um just doing my utmost to make sure it's as as uh, consistent as I can be with the other discographies. Um, this is a little bit more styled to my original kind of format because that was a little bit quicker for me to get out the discographies, but um, I did kind of uh, change it up a little bit so that I get a little bit more of the band's uh, information on the band so it doesn't seem like I'm um, not taking care of trying to make sure that I get the respect that I can for each band that I do. Um, so, uh, that being said, today's discography is on Motionless in White, another horror-ish themed band, um, and you'll kind of see why, but it fits the season perfectly, and I tend to try to talk about bands that fit the season of Halloween during Halloween, um, and it's very easy with metal, <laughs> so I've yet to really come across many, uh, <clears throat> pop or alternative bands that have like Halloween themed so most of the time they are metal which works probably pretty well given the uh, atmosphere of horror movies um, <clears throat> I am struggling a little bit with sinuses today so I apologize if you can kind of hear that um, I haven't been for a few weeks now it just I, my allergy problems always kick up in winter like most people talk about allergy problems like hay fever and shit during the summertime I have winter allergies and it's the worst um so that being said I think we should just get into it 
Um, I've already probably said my piece at this point. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Welcome. Your podcast that talks about everything, music, amongst other things. And if you're an existing member, thank you so much for continuing to check out the episode and the channels. Um, you know, if you are a video game fan, twitch.tv slash metalhead, I am currently doing my spooky season run of Alien Isolation which is a lot longer than I expected the game to be. (laughs) So it's actually probably going to drip a little bit into November, but neither here nor there. Um, And also, because it is Monday when this episode comes out, happy fucking Halloween, motherfuckers. (laughs) Man, happy Halloween, man. I hope you all have the greatest Halloween ever. I'm sure most of you all have already done your celebratory Halloween stuff over the weekend. Um, I spent time with my friends, just FYI. It was also my birthday weekend, so it was a little intermix of spooky season with Halloween. Me and my friends met up, and we marathoned the scary movie franchise, and it was a blast. We had a lot of fun, and we we had some crap. Um, Wet crab out of a bag, so there you go. Um, Anyway, guys, let's get straight into this discography. Waste no more time. Um, Let's talk about Motionless and White. Motionless and White was founded in 2004 in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, the band was formed by original and current singer Chris Motionless Cerulli, uh, Angelo Parenti on drums, Frank Palumbo, I'm probably pronouncing all these things wrong as usual, uh, he played the guitar, and Kyle White on the bass. Uh, motionless, Chris Motionless was, I, I will probably refer to him as just motionless at times. So just get ready for that. Or just Chris, uh, Chris motionless being the only original and current member of the band out of the group that I just listed. Now the Wikipedia for the band is really just a little more than a list of kind of what their beginning was. And really up to the current album that they just released, there's not a whole lot of information on them kind of the albums and their process and all that stuff. So I'll try my best to make this a little bit more narrative for y'all, just uh, giving you a heads up ahead of time. So um, before becoming motionless and white, the band was originally known as one way ticket uh, before changing their name to when breathing stops (laughs) Uh, in early 2005, the high school band decided on their final name, which would be motionless and white and released their first self distributed demo. Um, I was a high schooler during this time and showing my age a little bit. (laughs) And I can pretty vividly remember all of those like bands in school that would try to peddle their CDs around mixed. Usually they were mixtapes to be honest. That's kind of like, I feel like, the early, like that time frame in the early 2000s was very popular for the beginnings of rap becoming the powerhouse it is in current music, if that makes any sense. Like rap has always been famous, like uh, since even the 80s and 90s and stuff. It's always been a big deal. But uh, like, I don't know if it was necessarily like the trending genre, if that makes sense. But currently, like like people like Meg Stallion get get on the Os- like get on Oscars and you see him on the Grammys and you see him all the thing those like rap artists are huge names now um where some of that used to be just kind of you know small time stuff that became very famous um not he- neither here nor there but I feel like the 2000s with people peddling their mixtapes that's probably how a lot of the artists that we know today became so big 
Um, now, there's a lot of member changes with Motionless and Wide, so kind of bear with me. Um, but in the same year as their mi- their their mixtape, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but in the same year, the band added keyboard Josh Balls, <laughs> I believe, or Bowles. Um, Frank Palumbo uh, took over his bass position as a result, and the band brought on Michael Constanza and Thomas Bell for the guitarist roles. Now, prior to this, Chris Motionless was the second guitarist in the band, uh, now taking the role of soul singer, and I don't believe he plays guitar anymore, as far as I can tell. Maybe at home, but not for the band, as far as I know. Um, okay, so with the seventh mem- with the seven-member band, Motionless played some local gigs. I assume one of those being a local gig called The Staircase. I couldn't find it on Google or anything uh, to confirm if it's in Pennsylvania or Scranton, let alone. Um, at this show, there was a recruiter named Zach Neal of Masquerade Recordings. Uh, Neal, enjoying the band's sound, signed the band to Masquerade, where the band would record their first EP in 2007, The Horror, spelled W-H-O-R-R-O-R. Um, I won't be reviewing the horror here, but when I researched this band, there's a lot of longtime fans, especially on Reddit, that include the horror as being like their number one album. Um, and a lot of people kind of see it as a studio album, even though it is just considered an EP uh, on paper. But when Googling the record label Masquerade Recordings, um, there's only about 22 records that they ever did as far as discogs.com is confirmed. Uh, and my research seems to indicate that beyond 2010, the label is really no longer a thing and is currently listed under the Warner records label list of properties that they own. Uh, the band did go on tour to support the horror. And in the meantime, worked on a new album or new EP, their second EP released in 2008 called when love met destruction which was reportedly recorded at Zach Neal's home, the guy that recruited them. (laughs) Uh, Neal was able to get the band added to the 2008 Vans Warped Tour. Uh, Remember that? Remember when the Warped Tour was a thing? I went to one of those once and I saw P.O.D. And you know where it was? In the parking lot of a mall. (laughs) Literally a parking lot of a mall. That's where the Vans Warped Tour was holding their thing or whatever. It was a bunch of kids like... Uh, the mall my where I live, the mall at the time had like an X Games park uh, inside the mall. So it was a really big like hotspot for skaters at the time. Um, so they there was like they had like a ramp built and stuff. But generally speaking, like it was it, it may have been like 700 square feet of of a venue like they had like a like a half pipe ramp. And then they had like the little area where the stand where you can stand. And it was the smallest concert I think I've ever been to. And POD was playing there. (laughs) It wasn't good. (laughs) I I remember it fondly, but it wasn't a great, great festival. Um, But anyway, so he was able to add the band to the 2008 Vans Warped Tour. Um, which garnished the band quite a bigger following, catching a lot of the attention of Sean Mike, lead singer of the band called uh, Alisana. Um, never heard of them. Uh, and he offered to the lead singer, Sean Mike, he offered to manage the band 
um, as well. The band apparently has five albums of their own, Alasana does, um, with uh, an additional three EPs. Around the same time as this, Zach Neal was contacted by Bob Becker of Fearless Records and subsequently signed the band to Fearless after negotiations for the band's contract. Wikipedia has a lot of production and contractual information and less about the band. It's probably more than you'd expect from some of the discographies I've done, um, because this is probably the first band that really outlines their kind of contractual shit with Fearless and all that stuff. Um, but anyway, following the signing to Fearless Records, we kind of get into the first record. So before we do that, let's talk about tone. <laughs> Now, this is a band with pretty heavy emphasis on tone. Uh, they seem so precise on how things sound. And uh, I'm basing this completely on what I've heard and my own kind of experience with the bands and listening through this discography. Um, so without looking into anything about the band, you can really hear this kind of high quality tonality for each instrument, um, especially the guitar. Uh, each member is allowed time to shine, and the band does pack quite a punch, um, rather than the kind of typical tremolo-picking death metal bands or death core bands in some respects. Um, that sounds like a kind of instruments being thrown into a blender. Um, and the band really does take influence from the bands like, like such as like Poison, The Well, uh, Slipknot, Marilyn Manson, Johnny Cash, Depeche Mode. Those are all on Wikipedia as well, but you're really going to hear a lot of like Rob Zombie, Einstein Kills, and Manson. Uh, and I'm going to mention them a lot in this episode, but that's those are pretty heavy influences for this band. You can really tell by their sound. The mix tends to focus on a guitar rather than the other instrumentation. It is really the highlight the volume of the instrument in pretty much every record, including early to the late albums, it really does kind of overwhelm the rest of the band members. So there's a big focus on guitars. Uh, this is somewhat kind of making sense just because Chris Motionless was originally a guitarist uh, for the band. And uh, since his switch over to the role of singer and he does have active, uh, active involvement in the production of the albums, it would make sense that I guess he, would want to focus on an instrument that he learned how to play and likes. So um, <clears throat> the band as a whole does tend to lend itself to guitar, which is great for somebody like me who is a guitarist. Um, now the guitarists of which there have been many uh, have a bass and game driven kind of tone. There's really no mids to be heard of <laughs> because this is a metal band. After all, this isn't tool who high, high mids, <laughs> you know, or anything like that. Um, riffs are a little bit more complex in the early years, and I'd say in the later records, they kind of focus more on their chord progression, especially in the uh, choral melodies. Now, you'll hear me use the word um, melody of a variation a lot today as well. Uh, this band focuses on their melodies seemingly over everything else, having a major key and many, many chorus lines and then the minor key in the verse, making it more a metal tone. Uh, guitars are almost always drop tuning. Uh, when I looked it up online, it looked like it was drop A, drop B, and drop C, and the rest of the alphabet. So <laughs> as long as it's drop tuning, you're good. Um, and you can really do hear this, uh, or rather, as a guitarist, I can tell the band is playing more of the bar chord variety uh, instead of that kind of typical power chord progression. 
Um, so it's really just one finger on three strings <laughs> in case you don't know what a bar is. But um, <clears throat> I think that the guitars do lend themselves a little bit to more. They're a little bit more friendly to uh, beginners. Um, it, it's not like over excessive soloing. There's not a whole lot of arpeggio stuff. There's not a lot of you know, and all that shit. <laughs> There's a really high gain sound and it's kind of easy to dial into. It's, it seems to be mostly amp based sounds. Um, and the tuning is really where you just have to put the most work, but otherwise I think it does kind of lend itself to somebody who's probably younger trying to learn guitar. Um, the band has moments of, you know, complexity with their guitar work. Um, like I said, especially in some of their early, early records, and then some of their really late, newer records, they have a little bit more complexity involved. But overall, the band's kind of playing varies in intensity and kind of song structure. Uh, the newest record, which we'll get to, kind of sounds like the Doom soundtrack, but with vocals. <laughs> so, so it's like, it's a lot bit more crunchy of a tone, a little bit more gent style, if you will. Um, it really depends on the record that you're talking about, but the style does change quite a bit, and they are a little bit relatively inconsistent with style, but consistent with sound. Um, there's not a lot of uh, progressive sweeping. It's kind of a pure, unadulterated trunk with that crunchy tone that I mentioned and these alternating chord progressions. Um, I can't really pin down exactly like the guitars and, and it's hard because there's not really a consistent member of the band outside of Ryan Sit, uh, Sitkowski, who is uh, mostly playing ESP styled guitars, but because there's so many different guitarists in the bands that have gone in and out, it's kind of like I sign kills in a way where there's been a lot of past members so when you look up at a quit board, there's like seven people listed. <laughs> and it's like, I'm not going to go through every single one of them. Um, but if it's not ESP, I saw Ibanez a lot. So there you go. Uh, and it makes sense. Most of the effects do kind of sound more like plugins, I think, than more than actual effects. This is more of a modern band. So the effects are probably more plugins, like computer-based effects, rather than something like, um, you know, a pedal board. Um, now, there are effects being used, of course, mostly distortion, I would say, uh, probably an EQ pedal, if I had to guess, to kind of dial into the specific sounds of the album. That would help if they're using more of a digital style of effects. Uh, they probably got a tuner pedal as well, because they tune a lot <laughs> to different things, unless they just have a stack of guitars and they're switching out every song. Um, they probably have a whammy pedal as well to drop into some of those tunings, um, is my guess, because there are a lot of metal bands that instead of sitting there and trying to tune on on the on the fly, they're just, you know, they have a whammy pedal and it's dropped to one of the octaves. Now, when I saw them live, personally, I did not notice any pedals on stage. Their stage seemed to be themed after Halloween when I did see them. Meaning it's either, like I said, completely plugins or the guitar tech backstage is turning on and off the variety of pedals they might have. Now, don't get me wrong. The guitar is amazing in every regard. It's not complex, but we've covered our fair share of bands with like without that unnecessary soling. It does nothing really to change the quality or talent of the guitarist, especially since in the, this is a band that changes styles so often. 
uh, if nothing else, it kind of shows the adaptability of the guitarists. So basically, it's Rob Zombie with without the John Five flair <laughs> is the guitarist part of this band. Um, okay, so the bass guitar is really the disappointing part of Motionless. I would say my my most disappointing part of Motionless and White is their bass sound. Uh, I'm not much of a bassist in general, but you do kind of notice when it's there or when it's kind of turned down or kind of thrown to the side. We've had bands with really, really intense band, like bass musicians. We just talked about Typo Negative that seems to put a focus on the bass sound. Um, but Motionless is really not one of those bands outside of like a few exceptions, but mainly out of the like Grave Sh- Graveyard Shift album. The bass is just generally kind of boring (laughs) you know quality of sound yes it's it's amazing it's fun it has this guttural kind of vibration in your chest um you know it is it is granted only bassists say that it's easy to hear a bass guitar but generally speaking especially in metal music it is difficult to hear a bass um because of all the other instruments involved and the bass is just it is almost the texturing of a song, but it's a necessary texturing. Um, so it is difficult to hear and oftentimes, but it's easier because you have your chest vibrating when you hear a song as motionless does. So it is in there. It is present. You can feel it. You can feel it in your chest and your throat. Uh, but that's kind of the bass. And, and generally speaking, I would say that the bass has kind of a velvety tone. Um, it's gritty, kind of like a popcorn ceiling, you know, <laughs> where it is a smooth ceiling, but it's got popcorn on it. Um, not like actual popcorn just FYI for people who don't know. <laughs> uh, but I don't know, like, I don't really know what that analogy is, but, but it really is what the first thing that comes to mind. Um, I think maybe another, a better one is like whiskey. It's kind of smooth with a bite. <laughs> there you go. Um, songs like Voices, I think the bass really stands out, getting kind of some of those soloing kind of moments in the song. Um, but in reality, with like Devin Sola and Justin Morrow's era of the bass, which are more modern, um, there's really just kind of one tonality and not a little, not a lot of experimentation with the bass. It just kind of takes a backseat. Otherwise, based on the Wikipedia of the band, um, it just kind of trades off the bass position. There's a lot of like, okay, we need a basis for this. Here you go. You do it. <laughs> you know, you're doing it today. Uh, it just seems like oftentimes Ricky Olson, the rhythm guitarist for the band, is credited oftentimes with the bass position as well. He did start as a bassist with the band and then moved over to rhythm guitar. He's also a consistent member of the band for the most part. Um but the instrument doesn't really shine in the band. It doesn't really get many standout moments. Um, watching bass covers online, uh, from what I can tell, the bass is really just following the chord progression of the guitarist um, with a lot less strokes. It's pretty common. It's not unheard of, but it doesn't really experiment a whole lot. Uh, if the guitar hits six chords, the bass might hit the same chord once and just kind of let it ring out. Um, while it doesn't sound excellent, but it is still a really necessary instrument for their sound, and they do include it in every record. So at the very least, they give it at least that much respect. <laughs> um, I would say some of their later records, later as in more recent records, do have more consideration for the bass than their early stuff. But 
Uh, while it doesn't lack a punch, there's not really much else to talk about it. So let's move on to the drum seat. Now, the drum seat has been filled by three different people from 2004 until about 2012, 2013. It was Angelo Peretti, the original drum man on the band. After he left, he was replaced by Brandon Rich, Richter or Richter um, for about a year until they brought on Vinnie Morrow, uh, who from 2015 until now occupies the drum spot. Uh, this is the less equipment discussion of this one, I believe. I for so far, if you couldn't tell, I didn't really mention a bass guitar in the bass section. I won't be doing that for drums either because there's not really much to talk about with equipment, especially when there's 28 members of the band. <laughs> so, um, but overall, the drums are odd. <laughs> not to really take away anything from the artists themselves, but kind of those early records suffer a little bit more from being off balance. Early recordings of the drums, they were complex and some of them were really perfect for the song. Um, kind of pull in the bass, I would say, for the songs. And they do kind of follow the guitar rhythms, but um, yeah, it's not complex to that degree. <laughs> <laughs> and even more similar, they kind of take a back seat, kind of like the pun intended, like the bass guitar, where it's just kind of an afterthought. It feels like an afterthought, even if it's not, um, especially with the mix being hyper focused on guitar and vocals. Um, <clears throat> they are extremely muffled, seemingly overwhelmed by the rest of the band, as I said. And the second album specifically is very rough with the drum sound. It is not great. <laughs> uh, the first album is a little bit just, you know, just the quality kind of the reporting. The first album's a little bit better. You can tell it's an authentic instrument. And then the second album, Infamous, the drums kind of sound like uh, songs like Divine Infection, for instance. The drums don't actually sound like real drums. They kind of sound like that plug-ins with a sharp cymbal sound and then a clean kick sound. During that time, the plugins for bass were a little bit more electric, more electronic sounding, in fact. <clears throat> I don't really know how to describe it, but they're they're just present and not a standout, if that makes sense. Sometimes the speed at which they play in the early records sound pretty fake as well. Uh, it's just too synthetic. You know, the keyboard sounding... Uh, keyboard sounding in the second album, it just it sounds like a drum pad, basically. Um, the first album is good. It's got that traditional kind of thrash metal sound. Lots of great fills on the songs, uh, especially .com Part 2. Very fast-paced. Uh, got, you got your little blast beats, blast beats mixed in with your kind of more rhythmic drumming. Uh, despite the quality, they're largely well-played. I would say in later records, uh, I'd say they're a little bit more authentic. They probably are better quality at the very least. Um, more of a modern drumming approach overall, especially in the newest record. Very fast as hell, big sounding, more balanced than some of the earlier stuff. Um, could be more of a new band phenomenon in the early records. Granted, they were a starting up band, so they hadn't actually like settled into their sound yet. Nonetheless, the drums fluctuate much like the guitar does. There's a huge adaptability curve with the band as a whole. Um, <clears throat> you know, one song is a Manson song, and then the next song is Mashuga, and then a Doom-style Gent. You know, <laughs> it it's all metal in a certain sense, and it's always a different play style. Um, and I'm not personally comfortable playing more deathcore progressive side of things 
like Knocked Loose or Chelsea Grin. It's not really my style. I love the music. I just don't play it personally on the guitar. Can I? Sure. But it's not my normal play style, so it would take me a little bit longer. So if nothing else, this band has seem, seems to have no issues changing styles on a whim, sometimes in the same song. I like the drumming. I'm a sucker for double bass, and it's a fun kick drum section. So overall, the drums are great. They just sometimes take a backseat. All right, moving on, the keyboards. Now, you may take notice, uh, but a lot of the iconic sound of Motionless and White does really come from the keyboards and the sounds that they use in the background. There's a lot of melody and atmosphere in these songs that you probably don't even hear, realistically, because it's not like as in your face as like Scissor Hands, the song Scissor Hands off the Creature album. Now, sometimes it is a kind of subtle emphasis on the choral melody. Uh, it most consistently sits over the top of the instruments, like literally it feels like it's above your head when you're listening to the songs. Um, but hey, they have enough presence in them that they kind of fill the air around you as well. A lot of reverb type of thing. I would say that they're used more often as accents to the songs rather than driving the songs themselves. Uh, except in like rare instances where you get a kind of synth or piano bridge in the aforementioned song, a Scissor Hands. Um, that song also, fun little calipee. It's got that circus sounding instrument. Um, part of which is really just like building a scene. And that's kind of what the keyboard is meant to do. It's kind of building the atmosphere or the story of whatever that song is. There's songs like Sick from the Melt, where the synth is so prominent, but not overwhelming. And sometimes it's over, like just unnoticed entirely. It's just used as an accenting kind of instrument. How does a prominent instrument also be unnoticed, <laughs> but also essential? Uh, I may have described like most keyboardist jobs in general, <laughs> because that's that's basically what keyboardists are unnoticed members of the band. I think bassists might sympathize with that idea as well. Um, but sometimes it's a keyboard and sometimes it's really just like an effect in the post-production. Don't ask me to specify which one the band is using when, but it's a lot of compositing of like computer sounds with the keyboardist's job as well. Uh, especially in the more recent albums, there's like no keyboardist credited at all in the more new kind of records. It's mostly MIDI sounds. It's still effective either way. Um, but I won't really be able to tell you when they are using one versus the other. Either way, it's still good. It's essential to their sound, but I don't really have much else to say about the keyboards. The last and most consistent member of the band is Chris Motionless. <laughs> uh, his vocal is, is really what makes Motionless and White sound like Motionless and White. The band changes style so often, as I've mentioned earlier. But even when the style and the genre experimentation, even with that, the band never sounds like anyone other than themselves. Even when the band is literally trying to sound like another band, they're still a very much motionless and white. You can differentiate them from the band they are influenced by. Uh, that is partially responsible of uh, that's partially the responsibility of Chris Motionless. The band is really just like a sum of its parts, of course, but Chris is the frame that those parts go into. 
Now, he ranges from scene type of vocal stylings in the earlier records, of course, to a little bit more Manson X, you know, Marilyn Manson, uh, deeper kind of vocals and the kind of guttural metal screaming that you hear from deathcore bands and growling and pure clean vocals. He really is just an adapting adaptable singer, just like the other members of the band. He adapts to whatever the song might call for. Um, and he oftentimes does experiment with many, many different vocal styles, as I said, oftentimes in different subgenres of metal as a whole. It's a singer that when you hear, you just kind of know which band it is. I'd kind of describe their earlier music as somewhat emo metal <laughs> and their later their later stuff kind of ventures into more the the death core kind of metal core vibe of things. Um, and that really should tell you everything that you need to know about the guy, honestly. The band's album quality is consistent. They are fun. Their lyrics can be a little weird. <laughs> their, their lyrics can be very odd sometimes. I'll kind of talk about it a little bit later. Some of them can be a little cringy even. <laughs> but uh, sometimes the lyrics could just are just like adolescent, especially in the earlier records. Um, but it's kind of one of the things that make the band fun. Like hearing them mature throughout time because their lyrics do progress as you hear the band. Um, and I can't really say that genuinely for other bands that I've listened to, like even bands like Fleetwood Mac that I've done a discography for. They had to replace half of their members to get to the Rumors album. <laughs> so granted, yes, Motionless has had a similar fluctuation of members, but really Chris Motionless is the artist that you are going to hear mature and the bands continuing to mature throughout time. So yes, he is basically motionless and white, <laughs> not to take anything from the other members of the band. Of course, it is a cohesive effort. I've already given all the props that I can to the other members, but everybody's got to put something forward to make the song work. So, but they got a hell of a front man. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Anyway, the mic doesn't really matter. I'm sure it's probably a sure or something like that. That's the the mic that I see most people use. Um, it's really just like a preference of quality, and that's about tone. So let's get into the albums. All right. I'm starting to lose my voice. I'm realizing that. Like, I, I, like I'm forgetting how to speak progressively. Like, you're watching... I'm going to talk about a band that matures while you listen to me fall apart. <laughs> I am a year older now, as of yesterday, birthday. Thank you. Uh, 29th, excuse me, if you're listening to this on Monday, I guess. Let me get a sip of coffee real quick. Mm -mm -mm. Get some caffeine in me. I did get an espresso machine for my birthday, so that was pretty sick. I've already used the shit out of it. Used an entire gallon of milk <laughs> already. Part of it was just doing test runs because I've never used one. So I'm like, okay, how do I make? I'll just start with a latte because it seems like it's the easiest thing to start with. Um, and I will be doing latte art at some point. Yes, yes, I will. I'm going to start an Instagram page of page called James's Latte Art. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, <clears throat> After the release of When Love Met Destruction, the EP that we talked about, uh, Frank Palumbo left the band unexpectedly. I tried to find if there's an interview out there, um, but if there is, it's not popping up for me. Other than fan theories, of course, but there's really no apparent reason for Frank's departure. If there was drama in the metal community, usually it spreads like wildfire, so my guess is it's probably related to personal reasons. 
I mean, who really knows? Um, this happens a few times with the bands where members seem to just leave unexpectedly and without cause. <laughs> you know, there's some of them we do get a cause, which I'll kind of talk about, but um, that's most of the history of this band. It's just their fluctuating members. Now, the band picked up Ricky Olson as their new bassist, who is still in the band to this day. His role changes. He's also credited as a rhythm guitarist, lending to some vocals as well. But generally speaking, he is credited as the bassist in the band in the early records. Um, I mentioned this, but the bass part of the band is mostly inconsistent aspect of their band. It seems kind of like they just pass around the bass guitar depending on the song that they need. Uh, we'll kind of get to that a little bit more. Nonetheless, Ricky Horror Olson is a staple for the band. In 2009, the band parted. They so they have little little names as well. Just side note, they have little names, kind of like a Slipknot has like number ten or number one, you know, whatever maggots. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so his his is kind of like Ricky Horror Olson, and it's Chris Motionless Cerulli. So there you go. Uh, in 2009, the band parted ways with Michael Costanza uh, and brought in current and another stable for the band, uh, Ryan Sit- Sitkowski. Uh, he is also the guitarist that appears in When Love Met Disrupts, uh, Destruction, according to Wikipedia. So basically, your main three members are Chris Motionless, Ryan Sitkowski, and Ricky Olson. These are the three essential Motionless and White members. Uh, We'll get to some more a little bit later, but the band entered the studio in 2010 to begin recording their first studio album. In October of 2010, Motionless and White released their first studio album, Creatures. The album was distributed by Fearless Records and produced by Andrew Wade of Fearless Records. Creatures was reportedly a an album dedicated to their fans creatures being named um, creatures is the name of motionless and white fans. Kind of like Lady Gaga has her little monsters or whatever. And Slipknot has maggots, which I kind of mentioned. So motionless has creatures, clever marketing strategy, to be honest, it kind of makes your fans feel connected. What do y'all want to be? My little syrups, (laughs) my little pancakes. (laughs) What do y'all prefer? Um, But other than the release, uh, other than the release and the list of singles that had the accompanying video video music videos, there's not really much else about the creatures album. Uh, Creatures received largely positive to middle of the road reviews Uh, is so mixed with like, so it's so basically it's a mixed review with a side of positivity. Uh, <laughs> so uh, most critics uh, think that while the band sounds like similar metalcore bands at the time, referring to them as a cookie cutter band, Motionless somehow sets themselves apart, a sentiment you'll find I agree with largely. Uh, Creatures debuted at numbers 175 on the Billboard 100 chart, which is amazing for a largely unknown band. Getting on the Billboard alone is a very significant speed. So getting 175 on the Billboard 200 chart, great. I think I may have said 100 on accident. (laughs) Anyway, um, lastly, the original album is about 44 minutes long with 12 songs. And the deluxe version of the album features a cover of Rob Zombie's Dracula and two remix songs, which is about 58 minutes long. Dig through the ditches, burn through the witches. Yep, you got it. <laughs> uh, 
Now, this music taste, Creatures, is not the kind of music I'm... I typically listen to. I never really have. I've never really fit in the, and I'm kind of quoting this emo. Emo, referring to music as emo is somewhat derogatory. It's kind of self, it's like a self proclaimed title. Um, I used to refer to it as just skater music in the early 2000s, and I'm grown enough to realize that it's now basically called metalcore. Um, it has grown on me, granted. Uh, I used to immediately hate it, like, without giving it a shot. If it showed up in Spencer's or Hot Topics back in the day, I would be like, oh, God, fuck. <laughs> but anyway, it's kind of like country music for a lot of metalheads. Like, the scene and emo genre of music I was just not having when I was younger. Now, I actually can like some of it because I've grown. <laughs> but anyway, I'm at a point that I'll I'll pretty much listen to anything and, and listen to enjoy rather than being overtly critical immediately. Um, you can actually thank this podcast for a lot of my growing, mu- maturing musical texts. I'm getting a little bit more experimental in what I listen to. My album reviews are like 300 albums that I listen to in the year. And oftentimes there are albums on there that you never would expect I'd listen to, (laughs) knowing this podcast being basically metal centric because it's what I like. Um, Now, I'm still not 100 percent on this type of metalcore. It's kind of like Ice Nine Kills, Kills is early album. Kills is a hard, hard word to pluralize <laughs> because kills <laughs> anyway. so it, this kind of metalcore is kind of like the early nice nine kills records um, it feels a little bit different it's uniquely adolescent sounding in nature but that being said i actually really enjoy creatures like this is a very solid album it feels like a very modern album that kind of came out in 2010 um, the breakdowns are really juicy and it's hard hitting as kind of modern deathcore sounds sometimes. Um, and the guitar parts are really melodic. The, the chord progressions as a whole is very melodic. It's a very melodic sounding just album. It puts a lot of emphasis on melody. Um, and it kind of reminds me of Ice Nine Kills. They have a lot of focus on the chorus and they tend to do amazing chorus lines, which are very sing-songy. But um, the guitar does have similar habits to the drums in certain ways. Uh, chord progression that often fills with like an occasional fill like a solo or an arpeggio here and there Um, and this kind of carries into the next records but i think that this uh this band kind of shows a lot of maturity in their records where some bands really don't they just kind of maintain the same sound Uh, i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself but there's a lot of fun songs on this record the album is bouncy Worthy of neck pains from consistent headbanging. Every instrument is on point, and the entire album is just uh, is a fun time. Uh, songs like We Only Come Out at Night has some stellar drum portions. There are two breaks in the songs that are silent but deadly killers. <laughs> the band really giving a drummer a moment to kind of carry the song to the next chorus. It's a really good song. Tight, nice, great. Uh, it's amazing. His combination of stabbing snare hits and double kick drums got me instant stink face. <laughs> so it's a good way of building excitement. Generally, the whole album features a song 
uh, features songs that excel at building to a climax. So the band really does keep you on a toes, and I'll, I'll kind of bring this up along a lot, but at any point, a breakdown could drop, and Chris will bring out his little growling vocals that metal is known for. Uh, it's really just an abrupt change, too, that there's no transitional things. It's just, oh, we are in a breakdown. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. But then again, what this band does so well up to this up to the new 2022 album is building tension. It feels like a breakdown is coming at any moment. It's it's like a band. This is why they make for a good Halloween band, because it's kind of like horror movies. <laughs> you know, there's like a tense moment. There's that anticipation of a scare. It's a tense moment right as you enter the haunted house or before you are when you're in line for the you're next in line your heart's racing you're gearing up you know you're you're trying to mentalize the fact that you're going to get some jump scares soon so there's a lot of crescendos and there's a lot of there's a lot of fade in effects and stuff and posts for different kind of songs it's kind of a way of building that tension constantly so in a way you are always prepared for the breakdown <laughs> or the fun melody that's in the chorus. And that does carry into the other records as well. They have that kind of unpredictable feel and it kind of keeps you guessing and it's, it's fun. It's a fun way of keeping songs fresh. Um, so anyway, also how immaculate a misconception as an opener. Oh man, it's great. Uh, literally the first track on the album, they open with what the fuck? <laughs> it's fucking great, dude. <laughs> anyway, let me get some coffee here. I feel my voice disappearing from me slowly. <laughs> um, this album is the most metalcore-ish album of the discography, I think. They are in the metalcore genre, but I don't know that I would consider them necessarily metalcore. It kind of depends on which song you're listening to. Um, but it is the most metalcore-ish album on the discography, and it isn't my favorite, despite it being an excellent record. I do enjoy every song, and yes, you heard that correctly, I like every single song on Creatures. I, I don't think there's a single song that I heard that I disliked or skipped or thought it was skip worthy. It's it's it could just be the version I listened to. I think I listened to the re-released version. Um, it is a deluxe version, so it's possible that it is more uh, modernized kind of mixing. But there's a lot of melody, and even though that like style of singing specifically isn't really for me, I really enjoyed this record. City Lights is a great example of a song that has that typical kind of metalcore singing style with a gorgeous delay and melody by the guitar. Absolutely phenomenal. It's just great. It's a great album overall. The buildup, the drops, there's so much feeling of genuine songwriting. There's so much heart in this record. There's a lot of screaming to imply sadness and anger as an emotion rather than just screaming because it's metal. And that's something Chris motionless does very well is utilizing those styles of singing properly. <laughs> so, uh, from that song leading into the next song, um, that I think is just absolute beasts of a breakdown and puppets, just the flow of the album as a whole is really well done. It's got moments that'll make you cry, moments that'll make you want to mosh, twisting your face in a sudden stank face. Also, as it relates to Halloween, just look at the song titles, intro to the songs, and some of the more clear references. Scissor hands. Scissor hands. 
what could that be a reference to? There's even a circus break in the middle. Could it be the Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands? Who knows? Uh, and there's a Calipi punch in. Sounds horrific. I love it. The chorus is literally, I'm a man with scissor hands. <laughs> Scissors for hands. Excuse me. Um, and we only come out at night. That is starts with a quote from Bella Lugosi's Dracula. It's a song about vampires. Quote, haunt you in your sleep and drink you from your neck. <laughs> it's great. They even mention that uh, they even mentioned 1031 on one of their uh, on the second verse of the song, I believe. Halloween night, motherfuckers. <laughs> so we only come out at night is also a re-recorded track from their second EP. Uh, their uh, uh, second EP, uh, When Love Met Destruction, I believe. But London in Terror, if I had to guess, that's probably a reference to Jack the Ripper, real-life serial killer, or it could be American Werewolf in London. It's kind of hard to tell. The song Cobwebs, because spiders <laughs> count choculitis, which is kind of hilarious, the serial vampire guy. <laughs> anyway, the band is very clearly a horror-themed kind of band, which is why I kind of picked it, but I think that their themes are a little bit more generic than I'd say Ice Nine Kills outside of Scissor Hands. Ice Nine Kills team tends to form their songs around specific horror movies or books. Um, and in a way that kind of opens the door for Motionless to write songs creatively rather than specifically. Does that make sense? <laughs> Maybe the songs kind of come more naturally, whereas I bet Ice Nine has to actually do research, but I could be wrong. This is just a theory. But in short, I think Creatures is is a really good album. My favorite songs are Puppets and City Lights. I love the dichotomy of the songs, the way it flows. Overall, the album does flow very well. Um, my own bias for the metalcore style of singing doesn't really sell the album for me 100%, but again, that's more of a personal preference thing, less so an actual fault of the record. Uh, the pacing is well done. Production production is expertly done. Songs are excellent. Transitions are unpredictable in exciting and fresh ways. Catchy lyrics and vocals that will give you a sing-song kind of style for audience members. Uh, just an overall good record, and I have very little negatives to say about this album as a whole. The album may have gotten mixed reviews when it was released, but I think it would probably receive more positive ones now. 2000 Time was a different time for metal as a whole. Um... And the unpredictable nature, just it's just a welcomed kind of fresh album in 2022, even though it was an older record. Moving on. In 2011, the guitarist Thomas Joseph Bell was fired from the band. This is the a kind of a large point of contention for between the guitarist, the audience, and the band itself. In summation, T.J. Bell left mid-tour to fill in a bass spot for a band called Escape the Fate, who is touring at the same time. The part that's debatable is his returning back to Motionless and White and his communication with the band. According to T.J. Bell, he informed the band and planned to meet them in a Orlando, Florida concert that they had planned on the band, uh, or on the tour. Um, the band had... S- stated Chris Motionless specifically that he failed to inform them soon enough and he left Motionless without a rhythm guitarist for several shows. Chris Motionless was cited as saying that the decision ultimately came down to their sound requiring a rhythm guitarist. Their performances suffered as a result and that was enough to make the members agree to fire T.J. Bell. 
Uh, people often forget. Now, here, here's the thing with firing musicians for things that may appear petty, um, but people forget that being a signed musician is actually a job. It's work. <laughs> you know, you are on the clock. <laughs> the livelihood of the members depends on the actions of each other. And that's kind of why when you hear things that are like, oh, the singer was drunk on stage and they fired him, it may seem petty in nature, but if you appeared, if you work a corporate job or you're a teacher or something and you showed up drunk on the job, they would fire you on the spot. <laughs> it may seem petty just in genuine because rock and roll has this kind of vibe to it. Um, but word spreads and reputation is at a cost. If you ruin one bad, if there's one bad show that the band puts on, like a really bad show and it sounds off, it will spread. Word spreads and then the band becomes that. Do we want to go watch a train wreck, even if they're not a train wreck? Uh, a good example is Motley Crue. It's commonly known that Vince Neil cannot do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or at least there were a few filmed shows that seemed to put that perception in people's minds. I don't know if Vince Neil can do that. I don't know if he can sing really well. Maybe one show he's amazing, and then the next one he's terrible. It usually depends. They are back-to-back, -back, so they're not always consistent. That probably affects ticket sales as well, having a per perception in the mind of people because of an occasional filmed concert with poor vocals. Um, and concerts really are like the main source of income for touring metal bands. So you can kind of see why those those small, minute, common rumors that spread can have a problem. So I get it. If you don't show up to work, it gets you fired. <laughs> so next time, maybe put in your PTO in advance if you were part of a band. Uh, so anyway, granted, I wasn't involved. So obviously there is still a dispute that is left to them. It, it's between them and it has nothing to do with the fans. Only they know it, it sounds like a big miscommunication rather than anything else. But uh, anyway, after TJ Bell's firing, Olson took over the rhythm guitarist spot. The rhythm guitar being a little bit more essential to the sound of the band rather than the bass, which is kind of evident as to what I said as well, is that it, the bass tends to take a backseat anyway. Um, they adopt. I. Bleh, ha, hoo, ha, ska, ha, but it isn't good for absolutely no. okay so uh they auditioned bassists in order to take fill that spot while they were on tour they ended up hiring devin sola known as ghost to fill that spot in 2011 the band hired him officially to the band um that all that behind us the band entered the studio again for another record Hiring the producers of Jason Sukoff and Tim Skold, the band searched for a different kind of style from the Creatures album. Tim Skold being known for collaborations with Marilyn Manson, which will influence the sound of this record, and Jason Sukoff being a known music producer for many bands, including Trivium, Black Dahlia Murder, All That Remains, and August Burn Red, to name a few, during the time of the release of this album. So, in November of 2013, Motionless and White released their second studio album, Infamous. Infamous is a different album for the band, abandoning their medical uh, medical sound? <laughs> medical metal? <laughs> abandoning their uh, metalcore sound in favor of a more gothic metal, industrial metal tone. 
Uh, Wikipedia cites many influences that seem to shape the sound of this band, including Slipknot, Marilyn Manson, Nine Inch Nails. I don't really hear a whole lot of Nine Inch Nails, but whatever. Uh, Ramstein and Rob Zombie, to name a few. The aim here was to expand the band's sound rather than having that kind of generic, quote unquote, cookie cutter approach that I mentioned earlier from critics. Uh, critically, the band uh, mostly received positive four out of fives for uh, Infamous. And uh, citing the album Ambitious and often quoting that the album sounded like Frankenstein's monster of a record. And for the band that derives their aesthetic over horror genre as a whole, especially generic horror like Spiders, <laughs> that's probably a big compliment referring to their albums as Frankenstein's monster. Uh, Infamous charted at number 53 on the Billboard 200. Again, extremely high considering this is only their second commercial album. Uh, metal's more popular than you'd think. <laughs> so the album's original release featured 12 songs and sat at about 46 minutes longs. The uh, longs? Uh, see, I'm telling you, I'm losing it. I'm losing it. You're watching my mental cap. cap- do, do I need to say more? <laughs> Literally, as evidenced by. <laughs> so, uh, the deluxe version in 2013 is 72 minutes long. So it features six additional songs, mostly remixes. There was only one original song called Fatal. Okay. So, Infamous. The first thing that I noticed with this album is the abrupt, abrupt, very abrupt production change. Now, I listened to the deluxe version of this album, largely shaping my review of it. So maybe that's why things seem so differently. But I don't know. It just feels like it was produced very differently. If anything, normally a reissue or deluxe versions do come with a better quality. So take this with kind of a grain of salt here. Um, but this review, I mean, um, but, but it's really just kind of based on this, like one version of the album, which is reported as, as being produced differently. The deluxe version, I mean, either way, the guitar is loud, fucking loud. And the vocals are very quiet. Like the guitar overwhelms this album. I listened to the band's first EP, When Love Met Destruction, and I listened to Horror, released in 2009, and then the album is in similar kind of style, where the album has a better kind of production overall. Um, there's better songwriting, the actual structure of the instruments in the mix is very similar, um, but the guitar is like so loud that it's muffled. Like, it becomes... Like you, you can tell it's a downtuned guitar, but sometimes when they downtune a guitar, they will turn up the guitar in post. Um, because when you downtune an instrument, it has kind of a natural kind of uh, bassy twang sound. So you lose actually the quality of notes. So the notes themselves kind of become indistinct when you turn when you downtune a guitar. Um, it does kind of in a way affect volume as well, but it's really just because it's kind of more of a natural bassy sound. And this is very common in metal for post and post. They tend to turn up the quality of the actual instrument itself and try to they play with the EQ a bit to make sure that the the notes become more distinct. That's why when you see a metal band live, it tends to sound like uh, TV static <laughs> because it's hard to differentiate the notes when it's just a wall of sound. 
Um, pay attention to just the kind of normal chord progression next time you listen to your like favorite metal band. Uh, when they're just doing a generic chord progression in the chorus, the sound tends to be muddled in a way. Like you can hear the overtone of the melody in general, but typically the actual distinctive notes tend to uh, get kind of mixed together. Uh, so anyway, it doesn't stand make the instruments stand out. That's a long-winded way of saying that this album is like trying to see through a dense fog. <laughs> um, the guitars are really overpowering the vocals in this. The instrumentation as a whole is overpowering each other. Like there's no balance. It's, it's changing its chemical composition in a way that everything is indistinct and hard to differentiate. Um, I guess I'm starting kind of on a negative, but it's kind of hard to ignore. Uh, the irony of this album starts with a song sub- subtitled as The Fog. Black Damask The Fog introduces the album and uh, this new sound that they have chosen. I just feel like this type of mix doesn't lend itself well to showing off the individual instruments and the talent that makes these songs Um, It just kind of feels like a wall of noise. And this is a very harsh way to introduce the album. There's just too much hits. You know, it's a hard album to listen to in headphones. It kind of demands a higher volume, but at higher volumes, the instruments seem to get they kind of get stuck together. (laughs) You know, it's like it's too much. Um, I had the volume turned down, which seemed to be the key with headphones Uh, on a Bluetooth speaker. I would say that's probably louder. Um, But the album was great, though. All that being said, it's a great album. I had no issues, um, but great. The album is probably considered a 10 out of 10 or 9 out of 10. Um, I do think that this album is my least favorite in the discography just because of the reasons I previously mentioned. However, the songs are excellent and just as fun as Creature. You do lose some of the clarity because of the... um, Uh, Because of the mix, they do tend to use a lot more vocal effects as well. And that kind of makes the vocals sound like they have a chorus effect oftentimes, like this watery kind of sound. One day they'll make a headphone for or Spotify will add like a EQ setting. Um, So I can edit the actual album's quality to my liking. That would be great if they added EQ settings uh, to some of these uh, streaming sites um if i can do it on twitch and on xbox i should be able to do it on spotify and apple right (laughs) anyway uh the album is motionless transitioning into this kind of marilyn manson style of sound or band i guess Uh, and that is kind of a good thing to have a band that sounds like marilyn manson because of Marilyn Manson's current status in the metal community or just in general. (laughs) So it's kind of, it kind of has that fix that you're looking for, man, I really want to listen to Marilyn Manson. So if you don't support him anymore, well, motionless and white has some Marilyn Manson sounding songs that might scratch that itch, (laughs) you know, songs like America with that absolute banger chorus line, by the way, chanting and spelling of America, A M E R. It's got a pretty obvious meaning. (laughs) The lyrics are mentioning fast food, home of the free, the sick and depraved living in one big night in America, et cetera. It's ironic that Marilyn Manson's the most Marilyn Manson sounding song on this record is also a song about depravity of a country. (laughs) It's a killer tune, though. That chorus, like I said, it it is the die for it's a catchy ass motherfucker. And 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 it's great to hear live because fans just love and eat up that chorus line. 
Um, I really enjoyed personally Divine Infection. Really cool song title also. That could have been the band's name, honestly. Divine Infection is a great title. Um, this vocals sound kind of like they're coming through a megaphone. Mega, whoa! Uh, <laughs> the vocals sound like they're coming through a megaphone, but it's got a really cool riff that I vibed with a lot. Uh, the chorus is really catchy on that one as well. It kind of sounds like a good song for a single, even if it wasn't one. Like, um, uh, if it's dead, we kill it. Reminds me of kind of the predator line. If it bleeds, we can kiss it. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not right. <laughs> um, fun chord progression in the chord progression. Um, what? <laughs> the song struggles a bit with the mix. I think it's a little bit too loud. Again, I'm saying this. I'm, I'm beating a dead horse, so to speak. But uh, unless there's breaks in the song, the album just as a whole feels full it's a it's overflowing with sound and sometimes that is a good thing in that song specifically if it's dead we can kill it that actually works to its benefit um and it is a single off the record but i think i like these songs that aren't typically off this record like i i like the songs that aren't necessarily the singles like motionless fans let me know your favorite songs but i really liked synthetic love (laughs) you know i really like divine infection i like that kind of synth mist mixed tron-esque styling in the verse i I really like that i think it meshes very well like having like a technology-based rhythm but gritty instrumentation like it just seems to work it almost is like that cyberpunk steampunk feel in a way uh, the song Hate Fuck <laughs> does a similar thing. Hate Fuck sounds like a corn song, to be honest. Uh, this band is like the best parts of the metal bands that you like, especially ones that I tend to talk about on Halloween. Um, there's some Rob Zombie. There's some corn. It's corn. <laughs> it's got the juice. Uh, Marilyn Manson, Ramstein, Einstein Kills. I mean, you name it. It's basically a Wikipedia or a list of Halloween bands. <laughs> I would hesitate to kind of pick a genre in general for this album. They seem to touch on a lot of types. That's the one thing that doesn't lend itself to too much consistency is because the band's this album specifically tends to be a little bit styled a lot of different ways. <laughs> There's a lot of influences here. Anyway, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but the album is great. I actually really do enjoy Infamous. Um, there are some negatives, which I won't really bother to repeat. But overall, this album, I I still think it's like a 9 out of 10, personally. And that's like these negatives, while they're high for the deluxe edition, it may be different for the original version. I don't know. Um, I do have a rule where if there's more than two songs I dislike on an album, I remove it. That's my Spotify rule, um, mainly because I listen to way too many fucking albums. So I got to find a way to kind of thin the herd, so to speak. Uh, so I do have this album kept on my Spotify. So if nothing else that should tell you enough, because I'm pretty picky with it comes to keeping albums on my Spotify account. Um, I will note that if the production is better on the original version, as the Internet says it might be, it would be a nine or ten out of ten. Um, the songs are amazing. They just add adding this kind of addendum now in case this is the fact. But in truth, I really didn't have time to listen to both versions of this record. I had to pump this out while I was doing other things. <laughs> so consider this kind of a review of the deluxe version specifically. Um, and my negatives are more structured to the deluxe version. Just a caveat. 
Okay, friends, in January of 2014, Motionless and White announced that they would be working on their next album. In February of 2014, drummer Brandon Richter announced that he would be exiting the band, mostly leaving on good terms and in a similar to Frank Palumo in the fact that there is not a real reason as to why he left. Uh, Brandon himself announced the departure, noting leaving on good terms and supporting the band in their future efforts. Luckily, that's about all the buildup for this one. So, because uh, in April of 2014, the band officially announced their third studio album, Reincarnate. Reincarnate was released in September of 2014 through Fearless Records. Reincarnate was produced by Motionless and Chris Motionless and Dan Korneff. The brand, the, the band was without a drummer. During their promotional tour of Infamous, the band supported a band uh, familiar to my listeners called In This Moment. The band would hire out several... Why do I keep saying the band? (laughs) The band would hire out several members of In This Moment for assistance on the new record, specifically a guest feature from singer Maria Brink, the lead singer, and um, on singer on song Contentress and drummer Tom Hain for the drum parts of the record. Funny how I happen to do discography on three bands that actually collaborate often, Ice Nine Kills in this moment, and Motionless and White. They're like the PB&J sandwich of metal. (laughs) Uh, There's also a digital artist uh, credited on the Wikipedia page, which makes me think that some of the drums were more digital Um, But anyway, Reincarnate did receive mostly positive reviews, averaging about four out of five stars. Similar to Infamous, people felt Reincarnate further progressed their sound. Uh, The guest features seen as a largely positive thing for the band as a whole. And the album was number nine on the Billboard 200 chart. You fucking heard me right. Number nine on the Billboard 200. This is their third record. (laughs) Number one on iTunes metal chart and number one on the rock album charts. Uh, Now, this album features 13 songs of 55 minutes long, 60 minutes if you have the album with the 14th bonus track cover of Cinematic. It's an acoustic track. Uh, the panning guitar is in Unstoppable. I'm just going to start there. That's fucking phenomenal. The way they pan between the headphones, you need to listen to Unstoppable and headphones. It's my favorite song on the record. The chorus is great. The ending being melodic with a touch of heart uh, and jumping into the main riff, uh, which is just a glorified breakdown drum part. It just makes it sound so full. It's such a great record overall. But yeah, listen to it with headphones. Uh, I listen to it on repeat because of that panning breakdown. (laughs) It's so good. It's got a great riff, great vocals, great song. Uh, Reincarnate is an album that is basically the band entering their peak, uh, a peak that I don't really feel like they ever got out of. Like they stayed atop that mountain. (laughs) So um, the band is really consistently good. Creatures is an intro album, but it's a really good record. Not their best, but very solid. Uh, Infamous is a similarly more experimented kind of style of Uh, their influences, uh, what the band wants to be, not their best, but really good. Reincarnate is the first album I feel that the band is kind of becoming themselves. You know, they're not, they're exercising those influences in the song still, 
but they're writing without the need of those influences. So I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, this is a Nine Inch Nails song. It's not taking me out. Each song kind of stands on its own without the need to rely on other sounds created by other bands. In a way, I'd kind of describe Infamous as an homage to the bands that they like, and then Reincarnate kind of feels like a step up past Creatures. So really, this is feels like the second album, the natural second album. Creatures felt like their own thing, so this is a natural step up. Uh, Reincarnate adds an extra layer to the band, bringing in fresh feeling and a new pair of underwear and socks. <laughs> so you already know what socks feel like, um, but there's nothing really getting there's nothing like getting a new pair of socks. You know what I mean? Uh, or maybe shoes. Shoes is a better analogy. Um, fresh. That's how Reincarnate is. <laughs> what am I saying? Uh, the album is brighter than inf- Infamous. It's a better production overall. The mix is very well done. None of the instruments kind of overtake each other. Everyone kind of gets their opportunity to shine. Uh, when they bring in some of the more synth effects that they used heavily in inf- Infamous, and the same degree in Creatures, they use a little bit more appropriately to kind of fill space and add transitions and build that tension that I've mentioned before, like in a horror movie. Uh, there's something a little synthetic sounding about the guitars. They cut off a little bit too cleanly for a reverb sounding, a reverb heavy sound. Uh, it's it's more than just like a noise cancellation or a quick mute of the wrist. It, it sounds more mix related. You kind of notice this in Death March a lot during the chorus, that kind of jumpy, jittery guitar riff. It, it, while it's really cool, you can kind of tell that this album was heavily edited. Um, but to my point, it's used a lot better than most bands who are trying to just be clever. <laughs> you know, uh, Death March is a great opening song as it delivers kind of a taste of the whole album. It's like a charcuterie board of or like local beer flights. It kind of gives you a chance to hear all aspects of the album you're about to hear uh, before we get into the actual main course of the record. Um, one thing reincarnate does amazing is the drums and the bass overall, the bass, not just the bass guitar, um, but even the guitars have an element of kind of an increased bass sound it's balanced. So it doesn't overwhelm, but rather it pushes the song into your chest rather than kind of sitting idly in the ears. You physically feel this record. It's got a punch that every guitar strum and kick drum kick hit or whatever you feel the bounce it, it, it's like the plane landing on the tarmac you feel everything that these songs have um and all these kind of positive ideations come from come to fruition and the song reincarnate the title track and a huge song for the band in a way this is a band musically reincarnating still themselves but something new also I can use pretty words when I want to. (laughs) Um, Reincarnate is one of the top songs by the band. It's an absolutely amazing song. It mixes all the elements we know from the band, kind of like Death March in the regard that the uh, it's a verse with a really fun synth section that Manson style of singing that Chris Motionless is doing. Uh, Reincarnate has an absolute fire riff. It's just especially in the ending of each verse, like leading into the back into the verses and chorus lines. It's just a really catchy ass motherfucker. (laughs) It's a real, it's a recipe for kind of like a perfect song for motionless and white. It's got a great breakdown as well. Not chunky, but it does keep going and they kind of meld the chorus progression into 
they they meld the progression of the breakdown into the bridge and it's very very well done uh the song dark passenger just throwing this out here randomly that clicking effect is very odd (laughs) i love the drums the double bass the guitar galloping combo is to die for the song contemptuous featuring maria brink the front woman of in this moment a band i've covered a lot on this podcast um I believe the two have a really good relationship, kind of like as friends, like they collaborate often. When I first saw in this moment, Motion Motionless and White actually opened up from in this moment. Uh, this was around Motionless and White's fourth studio album. We'll kind of get to that as well. Um, and this album, uh, Ritual for In This Moment. Great show. One of the top concerts I've attended. Uh, great lineup. All the bands were perfect. But Chris came on stage for a song with In This Moment, um, Black Wedding, I believe. But it's really cool to have two bands that kind of vibe like that. They collaborate so often that they're basically family. <laughs> I don't know. Especially for an audience member, like as a fan of those bands, it's got to be awesome to see both of them kind of collaborating like that. They're together frequently. Chris Motionless shows up in the music videos of In This Moment and vice versa. And from memory, I believe he's in the music video Horror. Great song also, Contemptuous. I mean, uh, I would say, I would hesitate to say it's a Motionless and White song. I think Contemptuous feels like a Motionless and White made an In This Moment song, especially since it's got Tom Hain on the drums. It just screams in this moment. Anyway, um, Reincarnate offers a lot of melody. There's a lot of sing-songy tracks. This album tends to push that kind of choral choral catchiness that this band is really really good at um just listen to songs like generation lost they mix that kind of chorus line and new metal styling with with manson's verses and then a neck breaking guitar there's so much style there's so much different unique takes on music in this it just got a way like kind of like creatures of just building so much tension and so much environment it just feels so fresh um, there's a lot of element of anticipation around every turn, which for a metalhead is kind of the best anticipation because you know that a breakdown is coming. Uh, sometimes both. There's usually a breakdown and a chorus. Um, I could talk about the individual songs here, but I don't want to make this episode three hours long like typo negative. You can kind of tell I'm talking a little bit faster than I normally do because <laughs> I don't want this to be three hours long. Um And there's still a lot of albums to talk about still. But speaking broadly, Reincarnate is a great album. It might be a top three for me. It might be my favorite album. I'm not really sure. It's certainly my favorite of the three we've discussed thus far. It's the album that, while quoting Ice Nine Kills, really felt like they came into their own with this album. Hey, Paul! (laughs) However, there's a few albums that exist um, that I kind of won't nitpick here. Um, being more hypocritical to what I said earlier, this album does somewhat lean into the kind of like, hey, we like Rob Zombie side of things. There is a lot of influence that's still being shown in this record, so they're not entirely themselves yet, but you can hear that maturing that I know that I mentioned. Like if you especially if you go album to album, you can really hear it. Um I often bring up movies that kind of time like this. Uh it, it's like a a f- those influence tend to br- take you out for a moment. They, they, they ruin kind of the flow of the movie. 
Um, and this kind of does a similar thing where they have so much influence. And when you hear a Manson style voice, it's a little bit more obvious. It doesn't hurt the record. It just kind of takes you out of it. Uh, like a, a famous actor cameo or hearing Chris Pratt's voice in Mario or not having Michael Myers for the 90 minutes of Halloween ends. The fuck was that? <laughs> anyway, uh, side note, that movie would have worked <laughs> if it was related to the Halloween French. If it wasn't related to Halloween, a kid being inspired by a serial killer. It's a fun, interesting idea. But why did you put Michael Myers in it? Like, what the fuck, man? Anyway. I am on a rant today. That's enough of Reincarnate. It's a very good album. I've pretty much... Uh, after the release of Reincarnate, the band announced that they would remain a quintet and will work on the s- with session drummers only. That being said, Chris Motionless, Josh Bowles, or Balls, <laughs> on keyboards, um, Ryan Sitowski on guitar, and Rick Olson on rhythm guitar, and Devin Sola on bass. That's their quintet, so to speak. Uh, they began touring to support Reincarnate until 2016 when the band announced their next record. The band simultaneously announced their departure from Fearless Records and their signing with Roadrunner Records. The band entered the studio with a new label and producer Drew Falk. Uh, Tom Hayton from In This Moment would again reprise his drummer role for the band in this record. And in 2017, Motionless and White released their fourth studio album, Grave Shift. Uh, I'm sorry, Graveyard Shift. <laughs> of the albums we've discussed, Graveyard Shift has the lowest critic reviews, but still has relatively high uh, reviews at like three or four out of five stars. Despite the lower ratings, which out of 10, the equivalent, I guess, would be like a seven out of 10. Um, but most critics seem to have positive things despite the reviews, which is kind of odd. It's like those movies that everyone likes and it's highly recommended, but they still give it a six out of 10. Like, motherfucker, what? <laughs> Did you know that The Mummy by Brendan with Brendan Fraser in it only has 61% of Rotten Tomatoes? Like, what the fuck is wrong with the world? <laughs> I know, fucking low lives. No, anyway, uh, Graveyard Shift debuted at number 27 on the Billboard 200 chart. Fucking amazing stuff. Still, um, fun fact, the artwork for the album was actually part of a contest for fans. The album art was created by Crystal Johnson, and Crystal can forever associate her art with this. A pretty fancy thing to put on your resume, if I do say so. Um, Graveyard Shift has 12 songs, 13 songs on the Japanese verb version of the album, and the album is about 48 minutes long. Okay. So this is the album that I originally heard Motionless and Wide on. Um, as stated, it was related to a concert that I went and saw. I saw in this moment when I first heard this band. Um, this was the album that they had out at the time. I am not too familiar with this music until this discography, though. I've heard their new records and then this one, but not their earlier stuff. Um, so I am familiar somewhat with this band, but not too familiar. Uh, and I am familiar with specifically Graveyard Shift since it was my introduction album to the band. Um, and mainly the, mainly the singles. I know those singles from Infamous and Reincarnate as well. Um, so really this band is kind of like a fresh take, but like 90% fresh. So take that as you will. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Graveyard Shift continues this trend with the band that the band has kind of putting out amazing albums. 
Um, it's harder to find different things to say about it, bands that are consistent. <laughs> I kind of ran into that with typo negative also. Like, uh, what do I say about a band that's consistent? <laughs> you know, I don't like every album sounds like the last one is like, how do I, how do I review this? <laughs> anyway, graveyard shift is on par with the last records. The band doesn't really make bad songs overall. Their style of music may not be for everyone or just like general aesthetic may not be for everyone. They do have that kind of edgy emo goth vibe about them that kind of lends itself to more teenage fandom. But um, that's kind of face value. Their actual music writing perspective, they are very, very good. Um, I did notice that with Graveyard Shift on my more an analytical listen through that the album is a bit slower. Um, it's still a lot punchy and hard hitting, but it's kind of more fitting that teenager aesthetic, especially lyrically. I feel like Chris Motionless is pushing more of that than anyone else. Uh, I had to use kind of this verbiage, but like it's kind of a whiny vocal. <laughs> like, uh, I don't really, I don't like saying that, but it, it kind of feels like that 2000 skater rock or, or like screamo vibe. It's, it's whiny, whiny sounds negative in, in essence, but it's the only adjective I could find. <laughs> so it's just not my personal taste, but um, it is just kind of in this record or present. Again, it doesn't hurt the album. The album is still really good. Um, but I can see that this album being an introduction to the band may not may not be a great introduction for the some more judgy metalheads out there. Um, backtracking a little bit here. Yes, the album is slower. The guitars are leaning a little bit more into a chord progression style, putting more infam- infamous uh, infamous what uh, putting more emphasis on the melody rather than getting a more crazy or whatever. Uh, the album leans way more into a synth style now and a way taking place of the guitar in the last album. Uh, there's some songs that lean entirely into the synth in a way that their groove is kind of a little bit more matching the synth sounds, um, slower pacing, I would say melodic metal rather than that hard punching breakdown style of reincarnate or infamous, Um, where this might hurt the album is probably whether or not it will keep your attention. Kind of like this podcast, (laughs) even when I found myself naturally, like when listening to graveyard shift, I'm also, I'm also familiar with the record. So I'll kind of throw that out. Um, but I found myself while listening to it kind of naturally wanting to pick up my phone or just being unfocused entirely to what I'm listening to. It just ends up being background noise. Um, and again, that can kind of hurt engagement, but generally speaking, this is still a good record. Okay, so negatives out of the way. I still like this album a lot. It is my introduction into the band. It does have a soft spot for my personal experience, that concert that really just introduced me to the band. It really does rank lower on my personal ranking of the albums, but it is a good album nonetheless. The band focusing on the melody makes the album feel a little bit more natural. Well, naturally melodic. (laughs) The album is more melodic as a whole. Uh, It's way more sing-songy. There's a lot more catchy choruses through and through. Nearly every song, even the ones like with cringy vocals, are still catchy as fuck. Songs like Queen for Queen rely on that catchy chorus. It really makes you come back for more, I I would say. like Even though it's slower 
and it's not engaging, it still is like addicting. <laughs> is that the good word? Or maybe hypnotic? I don't know. Um, it does kind of take away from the verse a little bit since the choruses are clearly what they're focusing on, especially since they tend to repeat the choruses. But it is still catchy and fun. And honestly, that's what makes this album fun as a whole. Uh, it's not a masterclass of songwriting or anything, especially lyrically, because some of these are weird. Uh, most of the song structures are similar. Even some of the chord progressions sound similar or copy-pasted into another song. It is still fun, though, and loads of fun. It does encourage a lot of singing along. They are karaoke-worthy songs and memorable. I kind of feel like there's way more memorable songs on this album than I would say primarily the other records, which is, again, maybe part of my bias because I'm familiar with the record. But there's a lot of groove. There's a lot of fun chorus lines. There's a, The record is is cringy in a fun way. <laughs> I also think that they're kind of leaning into that, like the Halloween element that the band has. This one does feel, I mean, the, the title of the album is graveyard shift <laughs> with a scary child as the cover art. I mean, if that doesn't scream Halloween, I don't know what does songs like necessary evil featuring Jonathan Davis of corn fame has a great synth melody that sounds extra spooky and lyrics about death. It's really a standout song on the record as a whole. That song followed up by soft soft is literally that TikTok meme. It's that, uh, uh, Oh, what is it? Uh, it's that TikTok where somebody sees like a dog or cat, like when they come home from work and they run at them and the intro of the song, uh, the intro of the song is that, uh, heavy rift and it's Chris, Chris motionless yells, you're mine motherfucker, <laughs> it, you know, and then aggressive cat pets, <laughs> you know, I know you've seen it before, but anyway, great song, great chorus, honestly. That intro is great too. It's a headbang worthy song, like a fast headbang though. It's the only, it's one of the exceptions to this album is slower because that song is not that slow. Let me get some coffee in me. Honestly, this album feels to be kind of one banger after another. It feels like an album full of singles. Again, while I agree the lyrics, the lyrics are weird, and sometimes the lyrics are adolescent, the lyrics don't feel as inspired as some of the other records, Untouchable is a great song I've enjoyed for many years at this point, and I love it. Um, despite all the negatives, I still really enjoy these songs one after another. It's like a greatest hits album for me. I know these songs. I know their words. I sing along with them. I'm an emotional teenager. <laughs> Hello. How do you do you fellow kids? <laughs> um, one of the songs that I'm talking about with cringy lyrics, uh, not my type dead as fuck is a very cringy kind of lyrical pellet. If she's got a pulse, then she's not my type. Come on. <laughs> However, the song does scream Halloween. The synth effects, Chris Motionless having that high-pitched kind of squealy vocal part similar to a clown. Uh, even uh, like having riffs that just scream Halloween. I don't, I don't know what it is about the song, but it's just so perfect for the Halloween season in general. The synth-led melt, and I apologize, there's a dog barking currently. Um, I could get into a rant about this, but I, I have currently the loudest fucking neighbors I've ever had in my life. The ones that live above me, they are impossible to deal with <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I'm just going to keep going despite the dog barking. 
the synth-led melody in the chorus is phenomenal. The lyrics are terrible, and yet the song is probably my favorite off the record. Uh, she's my graveyard baby. <laughs> anyway, that makes no sense, Chris. <laughs> anyway, um, I love it, though. It's a fun tune, and that's all I've got about That's pretty much all I've got to say about it. Uh, Voices is uh, another Halloween song. It's a little bit more skater sounding, but lyrically, voices in my voices in my head again. I love it. Sounds spooky to me. It's great. Loud Fuck It, terrible song title, in my opinion, but great song. Uh, it's a song about being loud, and the song reflects that, being loud. Killer Rift, rhythm-based. The last tune I'll probably talk about is my favorite motionless white song ever, period. My favorite motionless and white song is eternally yours. This is the closing song of the album and it's fucking awesome. It's really just a ballad song. It's a piano melody with very heavy guitars kind of lending itself into fast paced styled verse, but it just has this ballad feel to it. There's so much emotion in this song and I love it. Um, and I don't know why, but when I hear eternally yours, I really do like with the lyrics. I, picture phantom of the opera <laughs> which i which is my favorite like musical i guess but technically it's opera so whatever um but essentially it's like this kind of i think the it, it's up for interpretation but i think the lyrics are talking about this kind of like unreciprocated love or they're talking about like a vampire <laughs> i don't know um but it's just a sad tune it's got a lot of emotion to chris motionless vocals and it just it's it's like a battle, like I said. Also, shout out to Rats because that's a good opener for the record. Um, but guys, I get it. Graveyard Shift has some weird lyrics. That's really the only negative I would say. The pacing is a little bit slower. I don't think that's too much of the fault of the record itself, but it's still very much most and less and wide record. It's still very good. It may not be everyone's favorite record, but it's catchy as fuck. The songs are memorable. They're great live. Uh, it's just a lot more commercially friendly. I would say it does have that kind of teenage angsty vibe, but it's a good album overall. And I'm not going to fault anything. I'm not going to fault the cringy lyrics and, having a great album regardless you know <laughs> only motionless and white could have cringy lyrics and be amazing also <laughs> so like i'm still singing along even though i'm like oh man these vocals you know whatever uh, vocals are great the lyrics um but yeah good album solid addition of the discography so I know you won't notice, but I had to pause the recording because of this dog incessant dog and then also the uh I had a bunch of people outside my house just being loud as fuck for no reason loud as fuck that is also emotionless and wide record um but uh i do have like an hour left to record this so i'm hoping to get this done quickly if you can't tell i am kind of rushing this just a little bit um i'm kind of running i want this out on halloween so i was running out a little bit running out of time to record this because of all the things that happened this weekend but uh plus there's a second episode out that i had to work on anyway let's get to the next record as usual motionless and white went on tour in support of the graveyard shift album they joined their friends and collaborators in this moment for the half god half devil tour the tour yours truly went and saw them at uh fun fact this is also the first concert i ever went to by myself i might have said that in the in this moment discography but 
Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, the tour would be a worldwide tour touring parts of Europe and the United States. The touring season wouldn't come to an end until 2018. Probably the biggest gap between records, uh, or at least it kind of feels like it. Uh, in the interim, longtime bassist Devin Sola announced his departure from the band. Another loss for the band, citing mental health concerns. So a reasonable reason to leave. Uh, former guitarist TJ Bell announced that he'd be joining the band to fill in for the bass spot during the touring sessions, not as an actual bassist. So I guess they kind of got over their disputes or TJ Bell needed money. <laughs> How adult of them <laughs> to get over it. Um, it wasn't until May of 2018 that the band officially announced that they were working on another record set to be released in 2019. The band took a small break from tours and then in mid in mid 2018 until late 2018 when they were joined on stage by Justin Morrow of uh, or Morrow of Einstein Kills, a member that I have talked about on this podcast before. He filled in the bass guitar spot until March of 2019 when the band officially announced that Justin would be departing Einstein Kills to join Motionless full time. From what I can tell, it was a completely supported by Einstein Kills. There's no bad blood between the two at all. In fact, they're touring this year, and I will be seeing them December 2nd, I believe. Oh, that's December. Uh, November. <laughs> November, not December. Um, and I'm really excited to see the two bands. Um, I believe they have Black Veiled Brides. I'm not too familiar with that band, but I'm excited to see Motionless and Einstein Kills. I just, I've never seen Einstein Kills, and I'm very excited to see that band live. Um, Anyway, finally, in June of 2019, Motionless and White released their fifth studio album, Disguise. Disguise was released through Roadrunner Records, produced again by Drew Folk and Chris Motionless. Uh, side note, it's weird that somebody felt the need to include this and the prior album as the uh, their ex-studio album after leaving Fear Fearless. Like, this one and the last record, they both say on Wikipedia, this sounds like a disgruntled fan to me or somebody who works at Fearless put this in the Wikipedia, but it's like they somebody felt the need to put their second album since leaving Fearless Records their third album since leaving Fearless. Like, get over yourself. <laughs> what the fuck? Who cares? How dare you leave Fearless? <laughs> uh, I'm also going to note that Wikipedia says that Justin Morrow and Vinny Mur Morrow, similar names with different spelling, if I'm saying that, are credited on the record. Uh, Justin with bass and Vinny with the drum spot. But Wikipedia has in the parentheses, even though they didn't play on the album. Who the fuck wrote this? <laughs> this is a disgruntled fan, right? It had to be, even though they didn't play on the album. Or it's one of those like stubborn uh, like skeptics that like you talk about Bigfoot and they're like, well, that can't be real. And then they have this unnatural. The earth is clearly flat. <laughs> anyway, um, also, I don't think... Like Tom Hain is also credited as a drummer, so he may have actually done the drums. But I think this is a case of incorrect Wikipedia information, because I can't imagine that the band would credit artists that didn't actually contribute. There's no reason to do that. Uh, it'd be kind of unusual for Roadrunner to pay people who didn't actually help. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like any record label in genuine, like in 
in general, record labels are not going to pay people unless they actually contribute it on the record. Um, so, hey, you don't get royalties unless you help Ho. So I I think if they're credited on the record, they helped with some of the recording process. We just don't have all that information to confirm that or not. But um, anyway, Disguise received uh, mostly negative reviews, believe it or not. It's actually the lowest reviewed in the discography next to Graveyard Shift. But personally, I think it's the least heard of on this record. Yeah, I think this is the album that received the least amount of listens. Uh, despite my podcast, I don't even remember listening to this in 2019. I think I think I heard this record in 2020. Um, and it's like a polarizing album, getting like everything from seven out of ten to two out of fives. And the reviews are very scattered, but I'm I'm really honestly going to blame marketing. I don't I don't think these reviews are a good representation of the record, just saying that. And I don't normally have much to say about the review section. I just kind of put that out as informational. But um, I did have to find this via socials, I believe. And my guess is that this is not a a widely marketed album as much as the other ones were. I think it's possible that it was overwhelmed with music coming out in 2019, but also this happened to be right before the pandemic. So shit happens, (laughs) you know, that happens a lot in the metal world where multiple uh, when multiple popular bands like release new records and they kind of like in a way they're like pushing for top spot unintentionally so like like if Mashuga released an album it, it would be it would overwhelm a motionless and white album so it would kind of motionless and white would people would it would become the um a good example is black panther when it got released the first one it was one of those movies that was it's a phenomenal movie i have nothing bad to say about black black panther but that was also the year that it was like Wait, did that come out this year? <laughs> it's that kind of movie, you know, if that makes any sense. I feel like this was probably that as well. It got overwhelmed by other things happening that year. It was a big year for music in general. And that ha- that happens a lot. Like I said, it happens sometimes. Um, the uh, Where am I? So Loudwire ranked this as one of the best metal albums of 2019, despite the reviews that I just mentioned. And the album chart- charted at number 27 at the Billboard. So on par with Graveyard Shift, it was the same ranking on the Billboard 200. Uh, on top of that, I think uh, most of the time when I look up like on Reddit and stuff, fans typically put Disguise as one of their top three records, including the new one. Disguise is oftentimes considered one of their best records, and I actually agree with that sentiment largely. Anyway, Disguise has 11 songs, 12 on the special edition version, features a cover of Somebody Told Me, and it's a little uh, Somebody Told Me by The Killers to cover. Uh, And the album is a little bit over 40 minutes, so I think it's also their shortest record, which might also be a reason for the critic reviews or or lack of marketing. It's almost like an EP. Okay. So now we're on to the newer albums. This album, again, is on par with the prior records, uh, and it is a little bit of a sleeper hit. I, I think Disguise is one of those albums that I feel was unnoticed when it was released and has gotten more popular since. It's got a little bit of a cult following, even though this is a popular band, so cult following doesn't really happen. 
Um, it's that album that it came out and I think it flew under the radar until somebody was like, yo, what the fuck? This shit's good. <laughs> you know, it's really a top tier album for this. This is an S class album for motionless and white. It's amazing. It's the first album I'd say that the band really got rid of that kind of unnecessary influence style that they have that unnecessary Marilyn Manson vocals, all that stuff. Their influences still largely shaped the sound of, or they, they largely shaped their sound but they aren't relying on their influences for music's sake anymore. This is a pure motionless and white album. Um, it's an amazing record. The lyrics are great. There's so much more emotion in this record. It's a better songwriting style than graveyard shift. I don't feel, it doesn't feel rushed like graveyard shift does at times. Each song is unique and it stands on its own. They're each single worthy it's an overall great album that feels more personal in a way than other albums felt more commercially. Uh, songs like Headache, which is lyrically amazing. It's a song about inner turmoil, er, excuse me, inner turmoil and pushing that turmoil outward onto others. So basically, it's a metaphor of um, um, I'm trying to think. Like you're struggling, so as a result, you're rude to others. <laughs> Does that make sense? I think there's a word for that. I just can't remember. But somebody screaming, I'm going to be fine and shut up in the same sentence, that that's excellent lyric writing. It kind of tells you. It's like the show versus tell that movie writing does sometimes, especially like the Conjuring movies, which I watched recently, where they like kind of hint at a thing before it's actually introduced into the plot. Now... <clears throat> Its title is metaphorical and literal. It's an internal struggle. The song trades catchiness with genuine songwriting, non-traditional song structures. Um, starting the track with a bass rift on part with Tool tells you that this is going to be a different kind of motionless and white record. Headache is an example of that, but I'm skipping one track called Disguise, the title track, which because it's spoopy season opens with a dollhouse-style music box, like a glockenspiel sound, <laughs> blending that into the hard-hitting, angry riffs by the guitar. And I love the lyrics in this one, too. The dichotomy of, I found myself losing hope, I lost my way to find a home. It's, it's a clear meaning that someone who is having an identity crisis, we all put on masks when we leave the house, we all have different masks that we wear in different situations. Maybe Zelda's Majora's Mask was onto something, but that's basically what Disguise is about. The album as a whole is about personal struggles. It's actual, relatable struggles, and in some ways it's about personal struggles, struggles that have an outward proje projection as well. How those struggles of the person can outwardly project on the struggles of humanity. Um on one of the more positive notes, Code is about a musical addiction. Yes, a music addiction, at least according to the internet. Uniting through music, becoming one with rewiring your code. I love the message. It's like an anthem for this podcast as a whole. This album has something for everybody. Um, it's their most metal, less teenage angsty sounding album, I would say. Listen to Thoughts and Prayers and tell me that that breakdown doesn't scream heavy, you know? Uh, it's like a band that is finding themselves finally. They're they're being themselves while simultaneously proving any naysayers wrong. The band has really eased back on the synth as a whole, using a more balanced but uh, using a more balanced approach, like they had in prior albums 
to prior to Graveyard Shift. Uh, guitars and vocals make up a most of the focus, but then there are songs like Headache that focused on bass and uh, Legacy that puts on the spotlights for the drums. Having silence other than the piano and vocals and larger-than-life reverb drum sounds, it's a song that focuses so much on the drums and the verse, which is weird for a band that hasn't done a whole lot of focus on drums. <laughs> you know, uh, When they drop into their kind of like catchy, trademark-ass chorus lines, it's just great stuff, man. Um, and I, I get that this band is often coupled with I Sign Kills. I'm here for the catchy chorus lines, man. I love that. I love that kind of catchiness to those choruses like ice nine kills have that those kind of songs that scream uh, memorable <laughs> does that make sense like you you can learn the chorus after listening to it once you know it's that kind of sing in the shower type of shit uh it's really cool because they really deliver on this record as a whole also, I want to add one more thing. If you want to add something to your Halloween playlist, cool, because Motionless and White delivers with Undead Undead Ahead 2, The Tale of the Midnight Ride. I mean, outside of the fact that the lyric is about Halloween in itself, the lyrics mention Moonlight, Fog, Lucifer, Pumpkin, Witches. <laughs> it's like a checklist for Halloween themes, and I don't really know what more you want. Oh, you want a, creeping, a creepy girl singing in the song? Cool, because they have that. They have an enormous breakdown, and they added blah for my metal friends. <laughs> you know, it's great, isn't it? If it isn't for you, then okay, well, Beyond the Grave, Death Incorporated is another great Halloween-centric song, just in the vein of Rob Zombie had a baby with Ice Nine Kills. <laughs> so it's great. Uh, the last song I'll talk about is another amazing ending song, very similar to Eternally Yours, called Catharsis. Catharsis! It's great. I fucking love it. Uh, the beginning sounding very similar to a Muse song, focusing on a piano and a bass-driven intro. But when that chorus does kick in, it just gives you chills. It demands your attention. Even the verses sing songy style. It's got an easy flowing and memorable instant greatest hit. Um, and the band just has so many hits, but catharsis is similar to eternally yours. And it might be if it's so eternally yours is definitely my favorite, but catharsis might be my second. It may be easily my second. Um, overall disguise is a sleeper hit, but a very big hit. Does it beat reincarnate? I think it might personally. I think, I think if I had to rank these disguise might be my number one because I really, really like this record. I, I do feel like this is motionless already hit the peak and they're staying at it. They're trying to go further up somehow. They're growing wings out of their back. I don't know. They're just leaning into their own sound for once and not relying on the sounds of other bands which maybe caught critics off guard because critics probably expected them to do all of these things and their critiques of the album were kind of shaped by those expectations. We can't travel through time, but I've really matured as a music man since 2019, but this album, pun intended, is cathartic. It's a beautiful piece of music and a great overall album highlighting the best parts of Motionless and White. You should really check out Disguise. 
The band announced a tour in late 2019 for European festivals. However, before the tour could begin, the shows had to be canceled in 2020 due to obvious reasons, the COVID-19 pandemic, something people are still making excuses about, even though it's really not a pandemic anymore. (laughs) In May 2020, during a live stream, Chris Motionless announced that they were working on their next album. My guess, with the touring schedules ruined, the band had a lot of time to focus on their next album and perfecting it. The recording sessions were continuously delayed due to the pandemic, so a large portion of the album remained unfinished by the end of 2020. The band, in the interim, released the 10-year anniversary of Creatures and the cover song of Killers Somebody Told Me that I was on the previous record's bonus, bonus version. Uh, I suspect that the majority of 2021 had similar issues with recording as a band didn't release any new material until August of 2021. Finally, in June of 2022, Motionless and White released their sixth studio album, Scoring the End of the World. Similar to the last two albums, the last album on today's episode was produced by Drew Folk. And this time, Justin DeBlyek, um, again, released through Roadrunner Records. And just like with the last album, there's really not much to discuss other than that. Um, the album has received mostly positive reviews. The lowest review I saw was three out of five, which is the only review I saw that was that low. Otherwise, the album is getting seven out of tens or ten out of ten ratings across the board so far. Many critics citing the album as the heaviest and best album that Motionless and Wise has done to date. The album has the highest debuting recording for the band as a whole, just missing the top 10 at number 12 on the Billboard 200 charts. Next album, I'm calling it, they're going to break into that top 10, especially with their current TikTok and meme fame with that. Hello, mother, you're my motherfucker. You know, they're they're very popular in TikTok, surprisingly. (laughs) But um, this time the band hired Vinnie Morrow on the drums. The album features many guests, similar to the other records, one of those being Brian Garris of Knocked Loose fame and Mick Gordon, producer and writer of the song track for the video game Doom. Okay, this wasn't planned, but we are doing another band that would just release an album this year. It's kind of a timely discography. Uh, I'm a little bit least familiar with this record. I have listened to it a few times for this discography, but... I really got to say, just on those few listen-throughs, this is a serious standout this year as a whole. This is a very good record. I'm really struggling with my top 10 this year. (laughs) And yes, I'm starting to think about that, even though we're only in October. But um, I'm already thinking about that episode because I have to sort through all of these albums to decide my top 10. And it's seriously like Motion and White may be on that list. <laughs> it's one of the better years for music in general that I've started for this podcast. It's, it's funny. Funnily enough, it's also the shortest list I've had. Um, I've gotten way, way pickier. And I've said this every year that I'm going to be pickier about my choices. This year, I have genuinely met that met that goal and have been way pickier. And as a result, I have only listened to good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few exceptions of course but i mean this year there were a lot of there was a lot of albums that i was like um nope i'm good i don't need to listen to it and i made right choices oftentimes but there's a lot of good records that have been put out this year 
Um, and it's going to be a tough top 10 for me. <laughs> anyway, Motionless and White put out one of the best this year as far as metal's concerned. They are a band that really don't miss. And I have yet, if you've noticed, to talk about songs I dislike. There is, if you, these albums, every single song is on my Spotify. Like I, I have yet, none of these are really skippable to me. These are very good. This is very good music. It's all great. Um, Okay, Scoring the End of the World is the band's heaviest album. It's very consistent with Disguise, I would say. It's almost like the natural kind of sequel to Disguise. They came into their own with Disguise, and now they are kind of maturing their sound with Scoring at the End of the World. It is a lot more modern of a take for the band in general, I would say, but it is a natural kind of maturing uh, this is not a band to sleep on, even with the aesthetic, even if that emo aesthetic isn't your taste, you will enjoy this record. Um, by this point, the band is already well known, having collaborated with many famous and popular bands of similar styles. Einstein Kills have been brought up a lot in this discography for good reason. They are similar in a lot of ways. And a band that seems to form their aesthetic around spooky things as a whole, Ice Nine is Maybe the more extreme, obvious version of a Halloween-themed band with songs around like horror media, but Motionless is definitely lyrically more horror-themed or Halloween-themed. Um, they aren't as in-your-face, but their lyrics could be probably a pretty good drinking game. <laughs> I would, you know, drink every time Chris Motionless mentions the lyric dead, death or soul, <laughs> you know. Um the opening track, just like with every Motionless and White album, tells you this is not the band that you heard in the last record, even though they are largely consistent. Um they have a style that you really in- recognize instantly, but they do they're able to experiment by also being the same (laughs) it's kind of weird um meltdown the first opening track is larger than life the guitars sound huge the drums really just emphasizing each hit of a chord they take a page out of ice nine kills using a plug-in sound having google home saying meltdown (laughs) at the end of the chorus before slapping you in the teeth with the main riff um, silencing the rest of the instruments, very, very Einstein. Really, Meltdown is an Einstein Kills album, uh, Einstein Kills song. <laughs> the band really just fucks up your whole day in a good way, uh, with that breakdown. They even pay homage to the band by screaming American Scream in the bridge. So, this is very clearly a kind of tribute to Einstein Kills, um, and uh, which makes sense because you know their bassist, Justin Morrow, used to be of Einstein. Uh, normally I bring up clear homages as a negative, but I don't think that it's a negative in scoring the end of the world. This is like disguise. These songs feel like they were very motionless and white. They aren't trying to pretend to be anybody other than themselves at this point. You can still hear those influences, but they are very much themselves. This album is an example of using those influences and their friends sound as a tribute rather than like straight up thievery. It's it's an honorable mention and a welcome one, but honestly, all the album is missing is a feature from Spencer. <laughs> you know, like if they I'm surprised they haven't collaborated. I mean, they are touring together right now with Black Veil Brides and Atreyu. But so maybe they'll collaborate soon. It wouldn't surprise me if Ice Nine has a song with uh, Chris Motionless and vice versa, kind of like the In This Moment thing did. 
assuming everybody gets along, of course. Imagine, I imagine these ha- bands are probably hanging out backstage talking about horror movies like Changeling and Prom Night <laughs> or something. I mean, that just seems like like if they, if they're they're both horror aesthetic in so so many ways. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're uh, constantly talking about it or watching it together. Um, if you need a more horror themed song, don't worry, don't worry, whirly, whirly. <laughs> what did I say? Anyway, don't worry. Motionless delivers with the appropriately appropriately. Oh, no, I'm losing it, guys. I've had a stroke <laughs> appropriately titled werewolf uh, begging uh, beginning with a howling. That's an autocorrect problem. Be- beginning with a howling kind of wolf sound singing about becoming a creature with the full moon in a way. If It's like if Muse wrote a Halloween song. Um, they even use a werewolf robotic sound similar to Meltdown to the tra- transition into the verse. I love this song. Werewolf is great. It's very catchy. It's a song that shows that Motionless is getting a little bit more experimental with his vocals. He's doing different things. He's playing with his range, throwing in falsettos, growls, guttural vocals, higher range screams, distorted yells, you name it. And this song it really has it. It's it's this is the album's main song. I feel like it's the the one that tells you what this album is. It's really a change for the band, but it's great. It's a welcome to change. They feel like experts. You know, you they know what they're fucking doing at this point. <laughs> so everything has intent. It has purpose. It's on purpose. It's not half assed. It's it's not they're not making things up as they go. They know what they're doing when it comes to songwriting. Even the instrumentation seems to have matured. They are playing for the music. They're no, they're a no nonsense kind of approach. Uh, I have, I haven't really mentioned it, but the mix I has been immaculate in general. This is the best one so far. This is clearly the standout record, the way the sounds are balanced to perfection. I mean, listen to the follow-up of werewolf porcelain. I held a wrecking ball and your porcelain. Uh, I mean, it's that one lyric has so much impact. If nothing else, that tells you the maturity of this band. It's almost like a song that accepts your beastly inner self. And I think it's a song about breaking somebody also. It's unclear if it's like a lover or not, but the impression I essentially get is that you are breaking somebody. Uh, It sounds remorseful, remorseful, remorseful but also introspective kind of like owning up to being a monster i have no idea if it's related to anything specific but it's a great song on par to internally yours and catharsis that closed the prior albums and if it was an ending song it would actually match kind of those records slaughterhouse is a song that's proof of the album's harder hitting kind of heavier side they brought in Brian Garris from Knock the Loose, and you can't really make a soft ballad with Brian Garris. <laughs> he's got a very, very metal vocal style. Uh, he's screaming at the top of his lungs. Um, it's got a hit like a fucking semi truck, and Slaughterhouse delivers. It's got a melodic chorus line from Chris Motionless, but that fucking breakdown is amazing. It's a very knocked loose kind of style. Instant stank face. Highlighting Brian vocals right before is so well done. It's that tension that I've mentioned before that Motionless excels at. Honestly, Motionless and White, if you were able to channel that tension, anticipation that you put in songs into a movie, they would make an excellent horror movie. <laughs> Increasing that anticipation for that breakdown, knowing it's coming, but not able to predict when it's going to drop is a perfectly timed jump scare. 
I would love to do a track by track of this album, of course, but you know, time. <laughs> the screaming motionless uh, the screaming motionless vocals with the operatic styling of masterpiece, the music box styling of cause of death, the hard-hitting drums and guitar riffs, that's a seriously good song as well. We become the night. It's another great Hollows Eve tune having great synth melody that would make Rob Zombie and Alice Cooper smile. It's a song that pays homage to their early records, having a Manson styling vocals, but mixing it in with a more mature styling of Chris Motionless. Um, the band is a little bit softer. It burned at both ends, too, while still hitting the kind of in-your-face high, high fidelity sound that they've had. Needing another Halloween song? Great. BFBTG Corpse Nation starts with a haunting vocal uh haunting music box yes again the radio broadcast story sign kind of continuation to the one that i mentioned in the prior album this is like a heavy metal haunted house (laughs) you know that's ghost ghoulies spiders witches you get it it's probably very much influenced by ice nine honestly um, and he sometimes sounds like spencer charnas at times but anyway i really could go on but you really should listen to Scoring the End of the World. Um, I love this record. It's amazing. There are no guarantees, but I like this album enough to say, don't be surprised if I talk about it again. <laughs> um, again, there's no guarantees of that. It's a good album. There's a lot to consider this year. I really can't recommend it more highly. Perfect for the Halloween season, but overall a good album in general. It's Not an overtly Halloween album, so you could listen to this at any point of the year. It's not one of those records. It's not like Ice Nine Kills seems to have kind of stuck themselves in the stock uh, October setting, kind of like Rob Zombie. Motionless has gotten around that by being Halloween themed without being a Halloween band, if that makes sense. Um the album is really a testament to the kind of mature nature of the band. It's got the exact the excellent songwriting we saw in disguise with a lot more metal overtones, a more modern metal take. They got some genty style um, and things like that. It's a little bit more deathcore than I would say metalcore, even though the band is largely considered metalcore, maybe more along the lines of like architects or something like that. If we're talking metalcore, uh, the album is great on repeat listens, offering something new every Every time it constantly feels fresh. A lot of these albums feel fresh, and I'm intrigued to see what they do next. Hopefully, collaborate with Einstein Kills. So, anyway, that's it. I know I kind of rushed through that, but me rushing through that was still nearly a two hour podcast. <laughs> Actually, I think I've dipped into two hours by now. Um, so, you know what this means, right? Now that we're at the end, stick around. There might be some spooky atmosphere. And yes, I do intend on putting spooky atmosphere in this one and the 15-minute one that is also being released. I think it's a little over 15 minutes, but keep an eye out. There is a second episode out there, and it's all spooky atmosphere. Just no talk, no nonsense, just spooky atmosphere for the Halloween season. And I leave you off by saying Motionless When White was a great record, great out, great records, a great discography it was a fun time to listen to you should really check out the band if you enjoy them i'm you know they're an active band they are touring right now you should support them um support your bands in general as a whole because bands struggle more than you expect 
so support them. Um, there's a lot coming in the future. Uh, it's probably going to be a minute since my, till my next discography. Cause I had to, you know, I basically worked through all of October for this shit. So <laughs> it's, you know, this, this, this was a push to discography granted, but I wanted to deliver something to y'all. Um, because this is my favorite season of the year. Uh, hopefully it was a good Halloween for everybody. Uh, the holidays are coming up soon, so enjoy everything while you can. Stay safe out there, and until next time, peace out. Rock on. Thank you.